Hello, everybody. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. This is take two for us of this uh, record. We actually attempted to do one on the train back from Edinburgh yesterday, but for various technical reasons that we won't bore you with, uh, it didn't quite pan out, even though actually if we've got that pod out, we might have missed out on a fair bit of context and a fair bit of news that has broken in the last uh, 12 hours or so, actually, as we record this 10 to 4 on Wednesday, it was Wednesday, isn't it? Wednesday afternoon, uh, Connor Southwell joined by Paddy Dabbitt. This podcast also uh, coming to you on Future Radio as well. We uh, we may well be joined by Samuel Seaman as well at some point during this show. So uh, that's uh, that's that's worth sticking around for, if nothing else. But we've got plenty to discuss, Pad. I mean, uh, we got back from Scotland yesterday. Um, it's Tuesday today, isn't it? Not Wednesday. There we go. That, that shows the nature of, uh, of the long trip that, that we've had and, and the few days that we've had, which have been action-packed, full of football, uh, food as well, dare I mention, um, but also plenty of travelling um, as well. How do you reflect on the Norwich City's trip to Scotland, I suppose, from a footballing aspect, first and foremost? Well, it's interesting. I was speaking to somebody who's uh, in inside the camp, as it were, um, and and they've referenced to me, actually, that uh, you know they, they're seeing this kind of sense and it's very hard to sort of say it's representative of 50%, 70% or whatever of the fan base because, it, you know, if you're taking your temperature from social media that's always a dangerous uh, thing to do but but somebody who's inside the camp they picked up on that there is this air of and again probably choose you choose your phrase carefully negativity concern um certainly a lack of optimism uh fears maybe that, that there hasn't been a sufficient break from what, what they saw last season under dean smith in terms of how he goes about games and what he's trying to achieve um, and they were quick to point out it is. It's, it's simply pre-season is an exercise in getting players to the start line, which is Cardiff this coming Saturday, fit, healthy and with sufficient amounts of minutes. Um, yes, of course, we'd all like to have seen, you know, kind of take that Marseille performance, which is probably the best over the entirety of pre-season uh, for various reasons. And seeing that replicated in, in a lot more games, certainly towards the back end of these two games in Scotland, um, which wasn't the case, let's be honest, uh, for various reasons. But, you know, fundamentally, they they feel in inside the camp that they're in a good shape. That, that As Dean Smith himself said to us on the touchline at Easter Road Sunday after the 1-0 defeat against Hibs, you know, he deems pre-season to have been a success and, and the, the, me- the measures that he would have applied for what he wanted to achieve have been, been hit and, and, and added that, Right there, right then, a week out, he knew his 11 for Cardiff. So maybe that does tell you that, in Dean Smith said, um, he's he's extracted what he wanted from from this exercise rather than, you know, that clearly palpable sense that maybe filtered through, certainly the last two games, you know, very patchy performances and also the lack of goals as well. Um, maybe Maybe some concerns that, a right to be there, but but maybe kept in, in a degree of perspective. But ultimately, as Darren Huckabee said, I, I saw him pretty active on social media after that Hibs game, um, interacting with, with fans. And he said, and he knows far better than any of us do, having gone through plenty of pre-seasons, that it's largely irrelevant. And the time to judge Smith and those players will be Cardiff firstly, but then, you know, moving forward. And, and let's see where we are, maybe 10 games into the championship season. But, you know, there's no doubt about it. There is that unease, I think, amongst a group or a proportion of Norwich's fan base. I'm not going to suggest it's the majority view, um, because it's very hard to claim that. But 
to dismiss it would be wrong because it is there. Um, you get that sense quite clearly on social media. But as I say, you know, speaking to people inside the camp, um, they're fairly relaxed. They feel they've had a good pre-season prep and, you know, the proof will be in the pudding starting with Saturday's trip to, to Wales. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's in, it is a really interesting one because there seems to be, and I don't want to kind of polarise the debate because I'm sure there are there's a lot more nuance in this, but certainly it seems to be kind of two camps where um, people are either really concerned by what they've seen in pre-season or people completely ignoring what they've seen in pre-season. And, and there are reasons for both. Um, and there will naturally be people who are probably in the middle who probably do have concerns, but maybe aren't really thinking about those too deeply as we head into a new campaign. And there are plenty of examples and people will know them um, before the 92-93 season, as uh, I think Chris Sutton has, has written in his column, which will be in, in tomorrow's paper and on the Pink and Plus app. Before the, the season that they finished third in the Premier League, they, they had a pre-season where they didn't win a game. Uh, and, and then obviously went to Arsenal at Highbury and won, I think, 4-2 on the opening day uh, and obviously finished third in the Premier League. Um, and then before, obviously, the, the more recent example is the 2009-10 one before that League One campaign where uh, Norwich City were unbeaten. I think they drew a Manchester United 11 uh, within that pre-season. But there was probably a little bit of a concern that the goalkeeper hadn't been tested, who was a certain Australian at that point. They then, uh, of course, lost 7-1 against Colchester. So it's always very hard. And, and we've said this throughout pre-season and on these pods it's very hard to make hard and fast conclusions by what you see and what what you're trying to do ultimately when certainly I can only speak for myself when I watch these games is you look for trends you look for things that Norwich are doing well they've pressed a lot better they've looked a lot better structure out of possession I think in in pre-season but there are also elements following on from those trends that have been concerning and that does revolve around the void in creativity, the lack of goals, the the way that they're scoring different goals, which seems like kind of a contradictory sentence because scoring goals is never a bad thing. But there still doesn't seem like there's an there's a similarity between any of the goals that they're scoring at the moment. Um, quite a few have come from defensive errors. Uh, there was one at Cambridge that Jordan Hugill scored. There was one at Kings Lynn that Timu Puki scored um, that, that was defensive errors. And, and really beyond that Marseille game, it's been quite quite tough at times to, to see what they're trying to do, certainly from an attacking sense. Now, this may all be completely irrelevant as we move into the championship campaign. It may be totally relevant. I've kind of likened it. I don't know if I've done it on a podcast before, but somewhere I've said it. It's kind of um, akin to having one of those warning lights on your car. You know it's there and you drive on for a little bit and either you get the big red stop sign telling you that this is a major problem or you can just kind of keep ploughing on and it's okay. So uh, maybe even sometimes it disappears. So we'll see maybe in which direction it will go. But there's definitely warning lights on um, to, to kind of stretch that analogy. Um and we, we will delve into kind of pre-season and, and, and the season and where the squad is at more generally at the moment. But, Pad, um, we obviously came back from Scotland yesterday, which maybe uh, listeners may be able to detect a slight fatigue in our voice from, from all the travelling and what's been a very busy weekend. But personally, it was a, and professionally, uh, it was a very, a very good trip with uh, lots of culinary delights along the way. We're not going to do this again, are we, Connor? Surely not. Well, we can just say we can just say they're nice and move on, or we can tease to obviously the video that we did on the app, which maybe well, ultimately, and there's a few pictures from uh, Master Seaman uh, popping up on social media of a groaning plate of a table full of pa- tapas plates, but uh, our faces aren't in that picture. It's worth to say. No, so. no, no. no we no made no evidence that we were there. 
Well, we might have been in the vicinity. Let's leave it at that. But I mean, ultimately, uh, yeah, probably probably go get yourself up to the Pinker Plus if you're not already subscribed. Free trial for a month, well worth it. Um, have a look around, uh, and on there you will see. Yeah, we did a half an hour so video from our Edinburgh base Saturday Sunday night where we went into great detail about enlightening you with your your now newfound tapas love of all things um, croquettes and polo. But we won't we won't butcher any more pronunciations. Um, but yeah, and as I said at the time on that video, and I'm going to say it here on this podcast, you know, by no manner means should anybody be under the illusion that all we did was basically eat tapas for the entire duration of our trip. That came at the end of one long day, and it was another long day as well. Um, boo-hoo for us. But, uh, yeah, no, it was a worthwhile trip uh, in terms of covering the games. But uh, to take your point from the previous segment, yeah, maybe didn't feel quite as worthwhile in terms of where we hoped maybe Norwich would round off the preseason, which felt like it had grown in, you know, in a progressive fashion. You know, certainly Marseille, even Cambridge to an extent after that very sluggish first half, you know, they found their stride, albeit, you know, your points about, you know, this feels like a different top of Norwich and they're configured in a different way and they maybe attack and score goals in a different way to what we're used to in recent times. But but still, progress for me. And then it, it did feel it jarred to a halt a little bit. Celtic less so because, you know, you're playing a very good opponent, Um and they probably got a lot out of that in terms of, as you said rightly earlier, the, the work without the ball. And then, you know, the nature of a game t- 24 hours or so later was uh, a lot of unproven young players. And um, really that as an exercise in terms of pointing to the championship was, was was neither here nor there. We didn't learn anything, I don't think. So a bit of an anticlimactic feel to the end of, of, of the trip and, and pre-season more generally. But... Uh, no, from our point of view, it was a you know it was a very worthwhile exercise, and um, it's good to get away into that environment and maybe see the players and Smith in a slightly different light. I mean, he talked about when they went to Germany for that week. That was probably the first time he will have seen them up close and personal, twenty four seven, outside of the sort of Colney or Car Road or wherever they're playing an away game cycle, and maybe learn a little bit more about the characters of his players. and And you do get a sense of that. Um, when you're sort of observing in a different environment. And, you know, it, it looks a happy group. I mean, that's safe to say. There's some really good characters, some big characters in there now with Hugo and Hernandez. And there's a freshness maybe from some of the younger players who've stepped forward, Liam Gibbs, most notably. Um, Dean Smith referenced him. Talked about Denel Sanani again after the Hibs game. You know, so there, it looks like a, a group who, you know, have come together. Um, but ultimately... You know, with still those concerns, because I don't think we saw certainly in the Scottish leg of preseason enough evidence that we've arrived at a point where yes, Dean Smith, this is a Dean Smith side. We know what it's all about, and um, and maybe there's a real genuine optimism rather than a a sense that yes, well they have some good players and they have an experienced coach, but will it come together in a fashion that makes them very very good in the championship and and competing at the right end of the table, which let's make no bones about it, is the primary objective, you know, to return to the Premier League at the first available opportunity. Yes, absolutely. Um, 
just in our defence, just to finalise on, on the food point, uh, there were some days where, where that was literally the only meal we ate, which is why some of the portion size might look very big, but maybe some people won't care for that for that defence um, particularly too much. If we if we kind of assess where Norwich City are, we're joined by by Sam Seaman now, who's uh, who's just popped in to uh, to join the conversation. So uh, sadly, Sam's uh, missed all the food chat, but that's that's fine. Um, like I said, we covered that off in a in a video on the on the Pink and Plus app if you're interested in uh, in kind of a peek behind the curtain in that sense. We also did talk about some of the football, but Sam, um, as we kind of depart pre-season and, uh, and leave it there, where would you assess where Norwich City are? I mean, me and Pad have just spoken about maybe some of the concerns people have and uh, and why that is the case and what kind of merit they hold. But in terms of preparation for a championship campaign, if you're Dean Smith, are you, are you sitting there feeling very happy, reasonably happy with, with pre-season and the tests that Norwich City have got, even if maybe the team is is slightly unpolished and, as he has described it in the past, still somewhat of a work in progress? Well, from what he told us, it sounds like he's pretty happy with it. Obviously, um, he, he's one that likes to maybe keep his cards a little closer to his chest than somebody like Daniel Farker. So um, we don't know 100% what he's feeling like behind the scenes. But as far as um, noises on the record, it, it seems like he's pretty happy with the, the tests they've come through. And that's the the reality really is that it is a test. It's not designed to boost your results or win percentage. It's there to, to prepare a team for a, a championship season. And um, Dean Smith obviously feels that that's the case uh it's become almost a, a bit of a buzzword if you look at the the club's content the word competitive is everywhere and uh it's in it's in dean smith's interviews quite a lot as well so they clearly feel that they've had um a good number of uh, you know that, that word competitive games um and uh i suppose that that's what you're looking for in pre-season i think that the fans are going to read into things maybe more than people within the club because they will have experienced a lot more of these pre-seasons they'll be uh inside the, the camp and and used to to these things happening I don't know if you've already referenced it but uh, I've heard it referenced plenty that in the summer of 2009 they went unbeaten uh, in pre-season and, and then lost 7-1 to Colchester so that tells you everything you need to know about um the importance of results in pre-season that's not to say that fans don't have the right to be worried I think it's fair to start reading into uh, Dean Smith's team now um, because you know we're eight eight or nine months into his uh, tenure in, in the job and we still don't really know what a Dean Smith side looks like so I think it's totally understandable that people are worrying but I think within the club there's probably not as much worry um, as there is externally Is that your doorbell? You better, you better run and get that if it's a uh... Yeah, I think uh, one of our parents has put a rather creative ring on that. So, uh, yeah. I I liked it. It gave the end of your answer a nice sort of joyful lift, which is good. (laughs) Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, Pat, in terms of of the squad, I mean, we've kind of, again, looked at it in this video, but it feels like that back five, at least, we could probably name for for Cardiff. And it's probably very similar in general, the team that is likely to play at the Cardiff City Stadium on Saturday to the one that we saw at Celtic um, for, for various reasons. Um, maybe the only change in terms of that back five is probably Dimitris Yunulis at left back instead of Sam McCallum. And obviously he didn't play because of uh, of illness and, uh, and and it had a little bit of a sickness bug before they travelled. So um, only got kind of 60 minutes at Hibs, which I think Dean Smith was quite pleased he came through. But from there, it kind of feels maybe like there are still some places to grab. I know Dean Smith has said he knows his eleven. 
how close do you think it will be if we start with midfield to what we saw in Scotland in terms of Campwell, um, sorry, McLean in, in the six and Campwell and Sonani ahead of them? Is, is that the three that you would expect to start at Cardiff, given the options they have available? Do you know what I haven't? I should have done, but I haven't actually checked how Steve Morrison sets up his Cardiff midfield. I think that'll be a factor. Um, might be worth you checking that, Connor. But uh, it feels like that was his, yeah, that was his preferred option. I mean, the only other scenario for me, you'd, you'd go with the two and the three ahead of those. And then Sorensen comes into the equation. Bit of a stretch to put Liam Gibbs straight in, uh, in, in that environment, I think, as good as he has been in pre-season. So... Yeah, barring any fitness or injury issues between now and Cardiff, that that McLean axis with Sonani and Camwell ahead of him, I, I could see that giving him another outing at Cardiff, yeah. I didn't think you were going to stop talking then. Sorry, you cut me uh, You cut me off as so I was trying to look up Cardiff's midfield. Um, I, I can't see at the moment. I think I've got in my head he played a 3-5-2 last season, but I might be completely wrong. And I know that he kind of changed because they were in a bit of a scrap, weren't they, at one stage. I think he completely changed his, his kind of ideologies, but they've almost completely revamped their squad. And I think he's spoken about trying to sort of move the squad to a bit more of a progressive style of play. Um, so it feels like Cardiff are a little bit in transition. And maybe in, in many aspects, this is a kind of a good time for Norwich to go there because they've made uh, about 15 signings, um, more than anyone else in, in the championship. The squad is is still relatively new um, and it's probably needed a bit of a freshen up and a bit more of a, a youthful look. They've lost some some big players in there as well. Signed some good ones, it's, it's worth saying. Some of their recruitment has, has been very good, some of it somewhat unknown. Um, but the challenge, I suppose, is, is going to be an interesting one. Steve Morrison will be absolutely desperate, I'm sure, to uh, to, to lay one on his uh, on his former club, particularly as a player where he was a, he was much maligned, really, at Norwich City, despite being being pretty good, particularly in the Premier League and scoring a fair few goals. So there's that ed- added um, incentive, I suppose, from, from a Cardiff perspective. Plus, it's the opening day of the season. And uh, even though there are 45 games behind uh, that, it, it can be really important for setting the mood, which kind of maybe lends us on nicely, Sam, to um, kind of what it feels like Norwich need to do in the opening weeks of the season, which is given the concern that is around the place, and me and Pad spoke about it before you joined, you, you kind of touched upon it in, in your last answer. It does feel like perhaps more than usual, Norwich City need a quick start just to kind of shift the narrative on from everything we saw last season. And we've kind of spoken about the concerns and whether they have merit. And some of them, um, the attacking side of it in particular, these are things that did exist last season as well. So I think that's probably why people are maybe picking up on them a little bit more in pre-season than perhaps they would ordinarily, because some of them are things that haven't improved in pre-season from last year in, in the Premier League and how dismal that was. So notoriously slow starters in the Championship as a general rule of thumb, but it does feel like, if only for narrative, if only for feeling from the fan base, it does feel like they need a quick start, doesn't it? Yeah, and that's where I think the fixture list has been advantageous for Norwich, uh, maybe not for the fans in terms of the amount of travelling that's that's needed in the first few weeks. But you look at those uh, those first few fixtures and I don't think there are many teams, if any, that people are expecting to, to challenge for sort of promotion spots next season. So I think it is a good opportunity. Um, it's difficult to judge, obviously, especially in the Championship, which is one of the most unpredictable leagues in the world, which sides are going to be up there. But just from um, from sort of early predictions, it's it's hard to see Norwich maybe fretting over the, the type of opposition they've got in the first six or seven weeks. Um, so it, it will act as a, a good window into to 
where their level is in the championship. I think that's maybe a, a failing of the pre-season programme is that it's not, it wasn't particularly uh, effective in showing what Norwich might look like against a, a championship type outfit. And I obviously understand that in your friendlies, it's not common to play teams in your league, but there's not really too many games that were even comparable. You look at the the higher level games, I think uh, Celtic was probably a fair, Celtic looked just above championship level, so that was maybe a fair tester. But other than that, the only real top team they played was Marseille and, and the, the football in France is completely different. Uh, it's much less physical, much slower. Um, so it, it is difficult to judge what sort of level they're at in the championship and that's where it's probably going to be difficult for us to make our predictions going into the season um, because the level is, is so hard to judge. But yeah, I think a, a fast start is really important um, just to shift that mood because it's been this way for a good long while now. Um, you're thinking about, you know, probably 10, 10 months since Daniel Farker started to lose a little bit of that goodwill and, and Norwich fans started to to worry about how they were going to fare in the championship, in the, the Premier League, sorry. So, um, yeah, it's been that feel-good factor has not been in Carra Road on a consistent basis for a long time now. And um, I think this the fixture list and so many games packed into a small space of time does give them the opportunity to, to shift that narrative quickly. But it also means that they can probably compound their issues and compound the uh, negative atmosphere around Carra Road if they if they don't start well because we could be looking at it in in three or four weeks and they've lost uh, five games that to, to clubs that Norwich fans are expecting to be and and that will be a, a real worry for them so yeah I think it's a vitally important um, start to the season and uh, their traditional starts don't bode well but I wouldn't I wouldn't read too much into that personally. Yeah, and historically as well, Norwich don't tend to do particularly well on the opening day of the season either. Although it's worth saying that the last time they were kind of in this position, going in from being relegated from the Premier League, they, they beat Huddersfield 1-0, courtesy of a late Adam Eder goal. It certainly wasn't one for for kind of the history books or um, one that is going to be rewatched loads and loads. But it felt really important, actually, in just terms of shifting that hangover. So if they could do that again, that would be really interesting. And I think what's been interesting to consume, actually, is... Uh, and we've had plenty of emails from kind of bookmakers uh, as we as we get in in the last week or so of championship odds. Norwich City are often at the top of that in terms of winning the league outright. There's been numerous previews and and, and numerous kind of podcasts that have put Norwich City up there as well. It's it's interesting to view the dynamic between external um, expectation and internal expectation in terms of fan base, um, and that feels quite tough because in many ways, if Norwich do well there will be certain people who go, well, that's what they were expected to do. And if they don't do well, then obviously they're going to get heavily criticised from all quarters for that. So how they manage that and how they overcome that is going to be really interesting. What we're going to do now is play some audio from Dean Smith. Um, this was after the Hibernian game, but it also contains a bit more of an assessment of pre-season more generally, um, as well as some some fitness updates uh, moving into Cardiff. The trip north to Scotland, how do you think it's gone for the club? It's been a great trip in terms of what we wanted out of it. Uh, yesterday was a really good game. Um, today certainly wasn't the spectacle that we had yesterday. There was no tempo, pace on the ball. Uh, I was pleased for the first 30 minutes because you know, we've got a young back three out there today who've, who've not played at a first-team level in front of fans, uh, you know, 10,000 fans today. So really good for them. Um, but then we got sloppy on the ball. Um, for 15 minutes and then second half just wasn't really a spectacle at all was it it was us playing keep ball with, uh, without creating anything and uh, the, 
the rare times they won the ball back they had a foray into our box but until the likes of that Sarge came on team who had a big chance at the end there um, you know I think the benefit for us was then getting players through the games and getting minutes into them mm. Is the sloppiness and the lack of creativity that you mentioned is that a bit of a concern at this stage of pre-season with the real stuff just around the corner now or are you, are you quite happy with where the team's at overall? No, fitness wise I'm happy with where the team is creativity wise we will be okay we created enough chances against Marseille um, the other week we, we created enough chances against Cambridge um, and we will create enough chances you know, to, to, today was a bit of a mismatch you know in terms of putting the team together uh, we had to balance the squad over two days um, it was always going to be tough you know we've, we've got Sam Byron Ben Gibson at home um, we've also got uh, Pierre has just gone and um, Isaac and, and Gabriel aren't quite ready just yet so we knew that we'd have to play some players out of position but you know, it was all about getting through injury free, getting the, the minutes into the legs and getting good competitive games and um, I felt we've done that. Uh, you know, Adam Eder, for instance, he's got eighty minutes today, first game in first in about 70, 75 minutes, but you know, I told him yesterday that I still think he's three weeks behind where I need him, um, in terms of his, his sharpness and um, you know, that's what he'll he'll need a game like that and, and certainly to work hard in training over the next few weeks. Is there MD over the course of pre-season that maybe wouldn't have been in the first team picture that's played their way into that position by virtue of their performances during these games? I think Young Gibbo's done well in pre-season. Um, you know, young under-23 lad who's had an opportunity to come and train with us, and you know he's uh, he's certainly come up in in our thoughts. He's, he's done really well. Um, I knew Danell was a good player. Um, it's at really our first look at him uh, having him with us, and he's certainly uh, a player that we as a coaching staff like so we've got some players who have come back off loan Jordan's obviously made an impact scoring four or five goals during pre-season as well and uh, and Sam McCallum's done well as well unfortunately Dimmy's only got an hour of games he's been ill over the weekend he, um, he had sickness and diarrhoea before we travelled so uh, it was a precaution really to to not play him against Celtic and give him some minutes today and he managed to get 60 minutes which was good You mentioned about a lack of bodies in the midfield area Is are you looking to, to see the squad hopefully strengthened with maybe one or two more numbers before the start of the season or is this in terms of the playing complement what you're, you're going to be going with to start the season No, no I've said that we're looking to bring another, another player in um, and we've got, as I say, Isaac, who, you know, a few weeks off coming back. And um, we've got Gabriel, who's training with us now um, from, Mon um, from Monday. So, you know, we've got enough players now. How far away would you say Gabriel Sara is from making an appearance or, or being in the picture? Um, I don't know until he trains with us, once he, once he gets in with us. But his physical numbers, um, our, our performance departments are happy with. Um, so... You know, once he gets in with us, we'll we'll know the sort of um, sharpness that that's required to get him up to speed. And overall, if you were to just summarise how this has gone, do you think the think the team's ready to go? I'm quite confident ahead of the championship campaign. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I think it's a good squad of players. Um, I think will be a, a, a real challenge for anybody in the, in the championship this season, and uh, looking forward to it. Good man. Cheers. Then, uh, Grant, we saw him there. He had a little bit of light strapping. What's the latest you can tell us on him? Uh, it's a contact injury, pretty much like we said yesterday. Um, you know, speaking to him today, and he, he seems to think he'll be fine, which is which is good enough for me. Yeah, big strong lad, isn't he? <laughs> He's a big strong lad, yeah.
Uh, didn't ask you yesterday, but Kieran Dowell, I see he's been here, not involved. Whereas he, in terms of he's, he's had the off. Yeah, we, we was hoping that he'd get 20, 20 or 30 minutes against Hibs today, um, but he's probably not as far ahead as uh, as getting minutes today, but I'm sure he'll be training this week as well. And now spring it up on this trip? Spring it rolled his ankle in the last session before we, we came away, um, so unfortunately he had to miss this as well. Yeah, but talking of young wide players, Johnny Rowe, you actually tried him in the middle of the park today. What, what was you thinking there? How do you think he went on? The thinking behind the system was the players that we had available. Um, you know, we didn't want to put you know anybody who started the game yesterday uh, into into another game so quickly. You know, so it was to balance the teams really. And out of the the younger than twenty threes who've who've been training with us, we felt it was probably best to go to a back three. And you know, we needed minutes for Jordan and and Adam, so we felt wing back is probably not going to be Johnny Rowe's best position. Uh, so we, we felt if we put him in. In behind the front two, he may get into small pockets, which is where he causes problems. That's you, I think, the other day. I mean, how close are you now to, in your own head? Don't need to tell us, but you know, to Cardiff 11. Yeah, I know, Cardiff 11. You know it? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I knew that before, but, um, you know, stringing you along a little bit. That's, what, that's, that's, <laughs> that's the name of the game, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Constantly. Yeah. <laughs> um, no I was going to say, with Sam and Ben, are you hoping that they'll be training with you next week, or is it going to be a bit longer? Certainly Sam. I'm not sure on Ben, um, but, but Sam will certainly be training. Yeah. Uh, you, you started John Tompkinson, I think, at right-back uh, today, or sort of on the right of a, a three at times. Um, do you see him as part of the solution in right back? Obviously, there's a lot of speculation around Max Ahrens and Sam Byram struggling with injury a little bit. Do you see him as an option in that area? No. 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 Uh, John Tomkinson's a very good centre half, and um, he's another one who's who's impressed during pre-season, um, pre-season training with us and, and games. Um, but no, I don't see him as a right back. Uh, you know, we've got Max and Sam to do that. Is there a possibility then you, you add in that area, or I mean, no. just, so? No, no, no chance. Um, listen, uh, Matt, nobody's made an offer for Max, so as far as we're concerned, Max is staying and Sam Byram's here as well. We live Norwich City. The build-up. The passion. The drama. The last-minute winners. The debate. That's why we've created Pink and Plus. The app that takes you beyond the headlines. With exclusive columns, blogs, podcasts and videos, we've got you covered. Subscribe today. Pink and Plus. Stay ahead of the game. Download now on the App Store and on Google Play. So if we if we move on to the, to the other stuff, gents, because um, we in, t- in terms of the football, as as we mentioned, the Celtic game was was very competitive. We've spoken a lot about that on that video that we keep referencing on on the Pink and Plus app. In terms of the football, more specifically, the Hibs game, uh, there's not that we could analyse that in five seconds. Really, it wasn't a particularly great game of football. A very youthful Norwich City side as well. I actually felt you could probably see the young players who weren't ready more than you could see the ones who weren't, which maybe was a useful exercise for. For Dean Smith, um, but that that was about it. Really, it felt very much kind of a fitness exercise. Um, if we kind of move on to the other events of the weekend, I think if we we kind of start with uh, the story on shareholding. Um, I use my carefully uh, ensure I use the right term, but shareholding. Um, it's it's been an interesting one, Pad, because after kind of weeks of us being asked on Q and As, on videos, on podcasts, what's the latest? Is there any update? We obviously. Um, broke this story at the end of May uh, about 
talks over at external investment in uh, shareholding, sorry, in Norwich City. Which Donna, is obviously Donna, are you sure we broke? Are you sure we broke the story? Well, I think some people will, will have you believe that that they have, but it was definitely us. I think from memory, although my memory is not great, so um, yeah, it's I've seen a few trying to rewrite that, but definitely us. I think, um, but in terms of, of where we're at, Paddy, in, in kind of all seriousness with this. Um, we obviously had an, uh, another story, which I, I believe was the first update um, on this story since we actually broke the initial story uh, on where we were exactly. It was kind of the first um, reporting that we had from city officials confirming, not on the record at this stage, but confirming that there were talks over um, change of shareholding, a transfer of shares in the club uh, from Michael Folger to obviously what we've reported as Mark Atanasio. Um and some uh, a US contingent, essentially. That was then followed, and actually, maybe we, we should thank the technical issues because in our first edition of the pod, we didn't actually have these this to talk about, but uh, the club released an interview with commercial director Sam Jeffrey on Monday evening uh, where he put on the record these uh, this confirmation of, of, of our story. So um, all of that kind of leads to where we are now, Pad, which is seemingly a few weeks away from Norwich City having a brand new minority shareholder. Indeed. And and almost, despite what has felt quite a, well, quite a big story in the Norwich firmament, really, you know, um, because of the, the settled nature of the board dynamic, you know, both Delia, Michael and uh, Michael Forger, 25 years, they celebrated last season, I believe, on the board. Hell of a, hell of a length of tenure. And, and they've really been the staples for this, you know, getting on for three decades. Um, generations of fans have known nothing different, really, than those three, really, as the majority shareholding partnership and then Michael Forger as the minority shareholder, essentially number two in the pecking order of shares, shaping the direction of travel. Um, and now it would seem, barring any ma- major twists at the 11th hour um, from, from the signals that Sam Jeffrey has confirmed that were communicated to that body of fans on Sunday morning in uh, in Edinburgh who attended the Q&A that um, that is now going to change and that Michael Forger's shares will pass to, we would believe, the, the US um, operation headed by Mark Atanasio, uh, owner of the Milwaukee Brewers, reportedly worth $700 million. Um, and for me now, as big a story as that is and as big uh, the sense of anticipation is, is built in the in the the void almost between when we originally broke the story and the events over the last 24 48 hours is what next because i see no scenario where we'll, we'll say mr atanasio's group uh, to, to apply a label to it come in as the re- inheritors of michael Sh- forger's 15 16 shareholding and are happy then to stay in that capacity forevermore and and not look to exert a greater influence and in in reality a greater shareholding that may one day see them take full ownership of the club but we won't know that for sure until this goes through and then once it goes through i'm sure the relevant actors will you know confirm both what what we seem to be believe what's going to be the case and that is a divesting of Michael Forge's shares towards uh, an American presence on the city board. But then where does this relationship grow from here? You know, in the short term, it feels like it won't equate to a major cass injection and Dean Smith and Stuart Webber will have millions and tens of millions to burn in the January window because I think the nature of this timescale that they put out 
will probably take us past the current transfer window. So it won't have any material impact, I think, in this summer's trading. But, it, but it's hard to foresee by January that we're, we're going to get to a point where there's the billion, uh, sorry, tens of millions pumped into the billions of, uh, I was trying to think of a currency that equates to billions, like in lira, in old money, but uh, no longer lira, is it's euros. But, uh, but for me, in the short term, and we, we did discuss this on the pod that never saw the light of day on that rattler back from, Cambridge, uh, from Edinburgh, but, you know, it feels like it will just formalise maybe the start of a, from their side, looking at the football club from the inside and, and the workings. Because, of course, they, you know, soccer, as they would know it over there, they don't have any real experience of that. Yes, they seem to know how to run a successful US sports operation, but it's still a very unique set of circumstances that they're walking into with no prior knowledge we would we would assume unless they're gonna gonna announce that the you know they do have some sort of knowledge of the administrative side and the the ownership side uh, of of professional soccer but for them to look at Norwich and, and conversely for Vidalia and Michael and all those other stakeholders and maybe even the fan base to maybe get a look at this group and what they're about and what what they want and whether those those values that it feels like there are a shared connection. If you look at their work with Milwaukee Brewers and, and what Michael and Delia have set as the direction of travel for Norwich under their stewardship, they do align. But I guess they won't know until they start to work together. And then from there, it may blossom and flourish into something else. It certainly doesn't feel like this is the end of the story, that Mark Atanasio's group take over Michael Forge's shares and nothing changes. It's very hard to foresee that scenario. But obviously, before we get to what's next, we need to get to confirmation of the first stage, and that seemingly is weeks away. Yes, absolutely. It was. I think Sam Jeffrey actually said within within weeks, didn't he? So, um, if it was a month, I would have thought he'd have said within months. So, I would I would suggest it is probably plausible using that timeline to suggest we will have confirmation one way or the other before the end of August. That seems fairly realistic in 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 my head. There are obviously various checks that you have to do when uh, when a new director, uh, as we would imagine he will be if he if he takes the board's room seat which was uh was again suggested uh, by Sam Jeffrey as being the case there are various EFL tests that have to be completed before that can then reach a stage where it's announced I would imagine there is probably some uh negotiating in terms of how many seats on the board who comes onto the board uh what kind of role Michael Folger takes up all of these things will, will be up for discussion and then kind of finalization in the days ahead so that's probably why we've not heard too much uh, over the well since we broke the story really um but it's 15.9 uh, isn't it that that Michael Folger and uh, I think it's kind of split between him and uh, and his family. Um, they have as, as a collective. So um, that is what Mark Atanasio, presumably, um, whether by himself or as a, as a, as a group, will uh, inherit should that deal get done as expected in the next few weeks. But a very positive update nonetheless. And Sam, if we uh, if we come to you on kind of the transfer related lines, it was a very busy night last night. Um I was just about to go to bed um, and then saw all of it kick off and managed to, to stay up. Um, and then, of course, there was a tweet from uh, Fabrizio Romano, who's a, a transfer expert. And it's really important to, to credit journalism um, where we can. So it's important to do that. Uh, he first reported this. Ishmael uh, Kone, the man uh, who he has uh, reportedly suggested that Norwich City are interested in. We understand that to be the case. 20-year-old uh, from, from uh, CF Mon Montreal. I've done some digging this afternoon. So he is um, uh, obviously 20, as I mentioned, but uh, a full Canadian international playing 
in the MLS. His team have also been involved in the uh, CONCACAF Champions League. So that would um, all amass enough points for him to essentially qualify under the Brexit regulations to become a player that Norwich City could sign, a viable um, option, because obviously of the changing rules, work permits, etc. There's now some markets they can't shop in. Norwich City have, uh, as well as South America, and obviously Gabriel Sara has come through that route, done extensive work in North America, in other regions, South America, but also the MLS as well. So this is a market that they've been monitoring for a little while. Sam, what do you make of this one? And uh, I guess maybe if we kind of talk about the way it is broken and the fact that it doesn't necessarily feel especially close um, from what we understand, Stuart Webber was in Washington Washington over the weekend. He obviously wasn't in Scotland with Norwich City um, to kind of speak to Kone and his representatives, I would presume. But the fact this has come out now, whether it's his representatives or whether it's from the club, suggests that this is not maybe as close as uh, as perhaps Norwich City would like it to be. Yeah, I think this has more of a feel of a saga than Norwich City have been used to in the last few years. And the bad news is that if it does get protracted out to into a long battle between a number of clubs financially, Norwich just aren't going to engage uh, to the extent that a number of, of their competition would do. Um, obviously, we understand that there's interest and there's clearly a, a significant commitment to make it happen, given Stuart Webber has flown out to the States to to do this he's missed um one of the more important legs of Norwich's pre-season tour to be able to do it so clearly there's a lot of interest in there they're quite keen to do it um I, I would suggest the finances would be relatively significant as well for a player that maybe isn't going to be starting week in week out so um they, they clearly rate him quite highly but our understanding and and um you know as as per the reports from Romano as well uh there's a lot of clubs sort of having a look at him and, and, and interested. So I think Norwich's hope will be that they can win win him over early doors and they can, you know, we know how proud they are of their facilities at um, at Colney. That was another suggestion. That was another um, topic that Jeffrey covered in that video. And we know how how proud of those they are and how, how much of an asset they feel that's been in, in bringing players to the club. So I think... That's probably part of the reason why Weber has, has gone out and been so direct in showing his interest to the player. They're probably trying to win him over before um, there's the opportunity for plenty of clubs to get involved. But as you said, um, I don't think it comes out through somebody like Romano if somebody isn't trying to make something happen um, because he isn't the type to be loitering around um, asking plenty of people for, for Norwich City transfer lines. So. I would suggest somebody has probably gone to him that's maybe looking to, as you said, if it's the club, they're probably starting to looking for a bidding war. If it's the player or his representatives, then maybe they're looking for a a slightly uh, bigger club or, or more lucrative offer than Norwich City. So I think we're quite far away from that being done. Somebody asked me um, the other day if we're likely to see Pierre-Lise Malou's replacement um, in the, the Cardiff game. And I'd say that's highly unlikely um at this stage lots of work to be done on it but um you know it appears that this one's been caught fairly early Norwich are clearly interested and we know from Dean Smith's confirmation that they're looking for a player in that area so it's a case of watch this space but um that was the case with somebody like Christopher Iyer last summer and uh, as soon as Brentford got involved and were willing to pay the sorts of sums they were Norwich didn't really stand a chance. So that's the bad news, unfortunately. The good news is that there's uh, clearly tangible interest. Um, that from what we've been told, it's uh, 
definitely something they're looking at and um yeah hopefully I'm, I'm sure Weber will be hoping that they have something to announce soon because you suggest that the sooner that he finds a new club the more likely that is to be Norwich City Absolutely. That that rounds it off nicely then. If we uh if we conclude the pod, I'm gonna ask you for some quick fire predictions ahead of Cardiff. So basically I'm gonna go score line and then we're gonna go overall position that Norwich are gonna finish, and then we're gonna go top two. So um I've given you hopefully enough advanced warning of that to, to think about stuff. But I'm basically gonna bounce between the, the two. So Pad, score line for the opening game. What's it you're not gonna be there, of course. You're you're off on holiday, aren't you? So um Enjoy that uh, and think of us again, poor, poor little us in, in South Wales. But um, scoreline, what, what are you going to go with? Uh, Cardiff 1, Norwich 2. Sam? Uh, very optimistic of you, Paddy. I'm going to go for a dull 1-1, probably because I'm there and my, my pessimism is affecting that. Uh, what am I going to go for? I'm going to go for a 2-2 draw to start the season, although I, I feel that's optimistic for where Norwich can get two goals from at the moment. I don't know. Um, Paddy, let's go top two championship first. You may give away the answer to the third question in here, possibly. No. Borough and Blackburn. Interesting. Sam? I'm going to put Burnley in there. I think Burnley are going to have a... I think Burnley might be strange because they're one of the relegated sides with parachute payments, but somehow they're my dark horses for promotion. Um. Oh, otherwise, it's it's a toss up between a number of clubs. Really, I'll just go with Middlesbrough because that's the uh, the shout that both of you have been. Uh, going do, do you for. know what you were both? In, see, if people would have heard the first edition of this podcast, or maybe maybe it wasn't on the pod actually. But I I've said about Middlesbrough for a couple of days, and you say, ah, oh, no, Middlesbrough won't be up there. And then we've got down to it being on the record, and you both put Borough in your top two. Uh, I would join you on that. Um, that's interesting that you've not put Norwich in. So, Pad, where are you going for Norwich to finish? Fifth. Fifth. Playoff win, yes or no? Mm. Well, that's, I'm, that's a no, I'm, I'm a positive. A no. Yeah, yeah, I've already experienced it once. So, yeah, I'd like a bit more of that. Wembley action, 40,000 green and yellow. Norwich playoff win. Sam, Norwich finish first? Uh, sixth. Playoff win? No. Oh, that's oh, that was quite categorical. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have been that that clear with it. Um, I don't feel personally right now that there's a strong chance that they will win the playoffs. That was what I should have said originally. Cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna put Norwich in. Uh, what was I? Did I say my top two? I didn't, did I? You said Middlesbrough. Okay, I'll put Norwich in the top two then to be uh, to be a little bit different and we'll see who's right. Whether I believe that or not, though, I don't know. Um, let us know your predictions as well. You can tweet us, you can get in contact with us via email um, or you can uh, Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. You know where we are. You can contact us individually on Twitter as well and let us know uh, your predictions. We've got a big um, sort of pre... Um, Season pre, there we go. Season, they're the words. Season preview supplement coming out this weekend as well to look ahead to the season. Plenty more content, of course, on the Pink and Plus up, and we'll be in South Wales to cover Norwich City's opening game of the championship. Championship, so you can tell it's been a long weekend. Championship season. Now I've got to put my teeth in. Championship season against uh, against Cardiff um, on Saturday. We'll see how it goes. I get the feeling it's certainly not going to be dull one way or another. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you after the first win of the season. Be positive, people. See you soon.